Okay, so before we start our lesson, let me ask you an overall general question, okay? Now, you can answer if you want. If you don't want to answer out loud, that's okay too, but I want you to ponder what I'm going to ask you, okay? And so what I want to ask you is this. Do you feel that you are important to the church? That you specifically, you as an individual, are important to our church? Kermansville Christian Church or overall the body of Christ? Okay? Universal. Do you feel you're important? I don't want to answer that out loud. Okay, right? Well, okay. Okay. Okay, everybody's important, Bruce says. Okay, all right. Now, you might be listening to Bruce and you're saying, okay, yeah, it's an overall principle. I've heard that one before. But I don't know how I'm important. Do you know what I'm saying? Well, we, you look like you're pondering something there, Gene. You look like you're getting ready to say something. Sorry. Well, I don't know if, I'm a, if, if I feel like I'm important. Okay. Okay, you don't know if, if you're important, but you try to be as helpful. Okay, all right. How many of you would kind of lean with what Gene is saying? Okay, all right, okay. All right, so what we're going to talk about today is gifts, spiritual gifts that Jesus gave to the church. We're going to look at specifically verses 7 through 16. There, it's, gifts are mentioned in several of the letters, okay, as being very important to the church, and we're going to see that all of us are gifted. You have a gift given to you by the Holy Spirit for the benefit of the church. Now, you may not have thought about that, or you maybe have heard that, but you haven't given it any more thought. Maybe you've heard it and you're like, yeah, I don't know if I agree with that, you know, but it's reiterated over and over. And he's going to reiterate it now. And it comes out of his discussion in verses 1 to 6, where he talked about that we are unified, right? And we should be striving for unity. What unifies us is who? Jesus, right? That's what unifies us. It's not the Eagles or the Steelers, do you know what I'm saying? It's not a political party, do you understand what I'm saying? Uh, you know, even like with political parties, okay? So I was talking to some folks who were all in the same party, but they were all disagreeing with each other. There's not even unity necessarily there, is it? Did you understand what I'm saying? So our unity, and he gave us a whole list of things that we're unified on, is Jesus, okay? So out of that now comes the discussion in verses 7 through 16 of Ephesians chapter 4. So why don't we look at what he says, and then we're going to kind of examine it today in our Sunday school lesson. So if you have your Bibles, we're looking at Ephesians chapter 4, but look at verse 7. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended... 
What does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is above the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and teachers. For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working which every part does its share, causes the growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to basically divide uh, this passage into two main sections. So we're going to look, focus on, first of all, his giving of the gifts. Why does he give gifts? Well, Paul's going to focus on that, okay? And then we're going to see, with regards to these specific gifts that he gives, why do they exist? Why did he have to give them? So the first thing I want you to focus on is this. So in our unity as a church, grace was given to believers individually according to Christ's gift. Grace was given. So individually, according to Christ's gift, individually grace was given. All right? So basically what he's trying to communicate here to you and I is, is that in our unity, remember, there's, we're unified in Jesus, there's diversity. Okay? There's diversity. Diversity how? In that he's gifted us individually according to the grace that was given to us, according to the gift of Christ. So we're not supposed to all be the same. Do you understand what I'm saying? We're not all supposed to do the same thing. Now, we're unified in who again? Who are we unified in? Jesus. But when it comes to our being a part of the body of Christ, he's telling us that grace was given to us. Now, that's an interesting word that he uses grace here. Well, the word grace is used by Paul to reflect gifts or abilities given to believers in Christ, okay? By Christ. So he's talking here, he's using the word grace as a gift or an ability. Is this the only place he uses grace like that? No. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7. Chapter 8 talks about giving, okay? So here's what he says in verse 7. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. Now, what's, 
this grace also. What, what's he talking about, that they abound in this grace? He's talking about giving in that passage. He's referring to the ability to give as a grace. Here we come to our passage in Ephesians. He's talking about that God gave us a grace according to the gift of Christ. He gave you grace according to the gift of Christ. There, it's not talking about mercy, okay? It's talking about a what? An ability or a gift, okay? So you have been gifted, all right? <clears throat> so you want to write that down. You have been gifted, okay? By the Spirit of God. So Paul is telling his readers that spiritual gifts were given to believers by Christ. So spiritual gifts were given to believers by Christ. Another passage of scripture that would expound on that is 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each of us for the profit of all. Okay, stop. Your gifting is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit in your life. And notice what it's given for. For the profit of who? You? No, it's given for you to use with other people. Okay. So here's what. To one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healings by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles to another prophecy, to another the discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one, the one, but one and the same Spirit works in all things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. So what he's saying here is the Spirit of God gives you a gift. What kind of gift? It's the gift that he gives you. For you to use where? In the church, yeah, with the body. Okay? With the body. And we all work together. In fact, I would, I would encourage you to read 1 Corinthians chapter 12 because it talks about each part being diverse and needing to be diverse because he talks about like parts of the body. What if the whole body were an eye, he said? Where would we be? What if the whole body were a foot? Did you, do you understand what I'm saying? Where would we be? Every part is necessary, okay? So he's making this point here in verse 7 that he's given us these spiritual gifts. Now, why does he give them to us? Well, this is where it's an interesting passage. It's caused some interesting interpretations through the years. He quotes from the Old Testament a psalm. And by doing this, he wants to show the reason why Jesus gave us these gifts. Okay? So look with me at verse 8. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now, what's going on here? So the basis of these gifts, Paul shares a variation of Psalm 68, 18. There's some minor differences with his sharing and, and a couple of major differences with his sharing of this psalm, but it's basically Psalm 68, verse 18. 
And maybe he's just quoting it out loud, because remember, he didn't write his own letters. He dictated them, and at the end of his letters, he would say, with my own handwriting, see the large letters, because they think he had an eye problem, okay? But in that psalm, Psalm 68 stresses that a military victor has the right to give gifts to those who are his allies. So when it says he led captivity captive and gave gifts, think back to the ancient world. So off goes the general or, or the, the king or whatever, and he goes and conquers another kingdom. He plunders that kingdom, takes everybody's slaves. When he comes back to his own kingdom, he marches in to the, to the jubilation of all the people, like a New York ticker tape parade, right? And what he does is he marches, what they would do is they would march their captives in so that they could be mocked. He led captivity captive, and then he gave gifts. Back then, what they would do is, is give everybody a piece of the plunder. Oh, I'm giving Rob an earring. I don't know what he's going to do with it, but here's a gold earring, Rob. You know what I'm saying? You know, and, and that's what they do, or a piece of cloth, or whatever. They would give gifts. And so he's saying, Jesus is the victor. And he's giving gifts. Okay, so these, this is the reason why he's giving these spiritual gifts. Now, how is Jesus the victor? Where was he? What victory did he have? Yeah, he overcame death. But what else? Sin, yes. Yeah, he overcame sin and he brought salvation. And so it's stressing, he's using Psalm 68 to stress that he has the right to give gifts. So Paul is telling readers that the victor Jesus gave gifts to those who are aligned with him. Are we aligned with him? Yeah, because we're his followers, right? He's our Savior and our Lord. And he's giving you gifts. All right. So in explaining, now he goes on and says the ascended thing. In explaining he ascended, he points out that Jesus first descended. Now this is where the weird interpretation happens. Because it says he descended where? Look at your Bibles if you want to. He descended where? What does it say? The lower parts of where? All right, now... What do you think that means? I'd, I'd be interested in your comments. Okay, that's one interpretation. Okay. So it's kind of like he's going somewhere where people are at who died before he came. Okay. All right. Anybody else? What do you think it is? Okay, that's another interpretation. Lower parts of the earth, hell. That's what people used to think, that underneath us is hell. Okay. Uh, anybody else? That's basically it. Now, where he came, we would say, like where he talks about Abraham's bosom across from where Hades is, is where uh, all the believers were, and he came and took those. That was all an interpretation. That's not what he's talking about. Okay? Because hell is a spiritual place, not a physical place. It's not here on the earth. Okay? It's because how do you know that? Well, the old earth is going to pass away and there'll be a new earth, right? And then when you read in Revelation, hell is cast where? Into the lake of fire. All right? So it's a spiritual place. So what's he talking about here? Well, 
descending to the lower parts of the earth refers to his coming to the world as a what? Human. This is the lower parts of the earth. Okay? The upper parts of the earth are our atmosphere. This is the lower part. So he came here as a human. And we know this because he also mentions it in his letters to, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 10. Who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. This is talking about Jesus. But made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even to the death of the cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name by which, name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and of those under the earth. Okay? So here we're seeing that he descended here because now he's ascended, it's saying, now he's going to explain, Paul states that he then ascended far above the heavens as supreme over creation. So he descended because the focus of the passage is, is that he ascended, but how did he first ascend? He had to come here first, right? Now he's been ascended to over all creation. So the phrase that might fill all things reflects his authority over the world. Okay, another passage like fill all things. Remember Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah the prophet sees a vision of God high and lifted up. And it says, and the train filled what? His train filled the temple. Meaning what? That he had authority over everything. Okay. The, over everything. So that's what he's talking about. He has the authority. He's the victor, all right, to give these gifts. Now, what kind of gifts did he give? Well, in verse 11, he's going to mention some specific gifts that he gave, that Jesus personally gave to the church. He gave the church some very specific gifts. What are they? Paul points out that Jesus personally gave the church certain gifted individuals. Certain individuals were given to the church. Now, everybody's got a gift, right? But for the church, he also gave them some gifted individuals. Who are they? These gifted individuals are listed as apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Okay? These are, the, now some of these, we, don't, we no longer have them among us. Who, of, of this list, what do we no longer have among us today? Apostles, yeah. I know there's occasionally some weird guy somewhere in the U.S. that claims that he's an apostle, okay? Uh, just find humor in that and move on. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? Because... There were only the apostles who were in the, the 11 plus 12, Matthias and Paul, the apostle to who? The Gentiles, okay? So, but then there are prophets. There were prophets in that day, New Testament prophets. We've already mentioned them already. They would be those who would be proclaiming the word. Jude would be considered a prophet. 
James would be considered a prophet, the brother of Jesus and his letter. Do you understand what I'm saying? So we see those prophets. But then the, there are these today. There are what? Evangelists. Everybody agree with that? And don't just think in terms of Billy Graham, okay? There are evangelists. There are those, we would classify them also as missionaries, okay? They would be going into an area presenting the gospel. That would be true even in our area. There are people who are gifted to be evangelists. And then there are pastors and teachers. So these are given specifically to the church. Now, the interesting thing is, he's going to tell you why they were given. He's going to tell you why the God gave these specific individuals to the church. Okay? Let's look at verses 12 through 16 now. The purpose for the gifts. The first purpose is this. Jesus gifted the church with these individuals to equip believers for service. Okay. When you look at verse 12, it says this. For the equipping of the saints. Now, who's the saints? Yeah, Rob said us, believers. Okay. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry. Okay, for the work of the ministry. What do you think that means? Okay, so for first, Tim, you said what? Us for the work of Jesus Christ. Okay, us for the work of Jesus Christ. What were you saying, Gene? Spread the gospel. Okay, to spread the gospel. Anybody else? What's the work of the ministry? Okay, so the work of the ministry is building up other believers. Yep, okay, we're going to see that as we go along. Anybody else? Okay. Now, how has it been presented? In your mind, as you think about how long you've been going to church, okay? So some of you have been going to church longer than I've been stomping around on this earth. Some of you have been going around for several decades or more. How has the work of the ministry been presented to you as this is what the work of the ministry is? How has that been presented to you? This is what it is. Okay, it's by pastors and teachers, but what have they been telling you to do? This is the work of the ministry. Okay. Okay, yeah. Okay, so when he talks about, all right, so, okay, Tim, so think back to your background. Whenever you were told, you, need, you Tim, need to do the work of the ministry, what did that mean? Witnessing. All right, how many would agree with what Bruce said? Sharing the gospel, evangelism. Anybody else have something different? Okay, so you're saying you were also taught it's the way you live your life. Okay, all right. As a part of evangelism, maybe. Okay. What else? Anybody else? Okay. That's how we view it, but see, I would say that's one component of it. Okay, to expand beyond what, what also Eugene is saying is how you live your life. Because the work of the ministry is so much more than that. It's actually service. You are being told to do the work of service. We get confused by ministry 
to think that's some holy duty, but it's the works of service for Christ. So, for instance, works of service may, if Rob has a problem, and I can do something about his problem, whether he needs some kind of gifting that I have to help him, me helping a brother in Christ is what? Service or a work of ministry. Because by doing that for Rob, I'm building up Rob, right? Because Rob's hurting, and we go to 1 Corinthians 12, if one part of the body hurts, we all hurt, right? Okay? And so, so it's being there for Rob. So these apostles, teachers, prophets, evangelists, and so forth, are given to the church to edify, that is, build up the body so that they can what? Minister to each person inside the church as well as outside the church. Do you understand what I'm saying? So by just saying it is, like, so what I was told, so I remember I first went to a Baptist church. I've gone to Baptist churches all my life, on and off, but really didn't become a believer until I was... 19, but what I was presented with at the work of the ministry is evangelism. Getting out there, sharing the gospel. That's what it is. Bearing fruit. Fruit is bringing people in. All right. But it's so much more than that. Because each of us is gifted differently. So for some, it might be you're sitting here and you're noticing across the aisle, oh, there's so-and-so. Yeah, they don't look okay. I hope they're all right. And then you maybe hear they're not doing okay. But you're, you would never go up to them and say, hey, I'm, I'll do it. I'm, but you might write them a card. Send them a card in the mail. Say, hey, I just want to let you know I'm praying for you. Do, do, you know, do you know what I mean? And that ministers volumes to a person. Okay, so I've been here... I've been here 20 and a half years now, okay? 20 and a half years. Actually, December 10th, 2000 is when I first spoke in the church as a, as a fill in the pulpit, okay? In that 20 years, almost 21 years now, I, I sometimes will get some, I've had weird things happen where I had some guy that I was in a class with, well, he say, I, you came to mind today and I'm praying for you and I thought I would tell you that. Well, first of all, I'm encouraged by that, but then I'm also scared. What's going to happen? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, but I've had that happen several times now where someone will say, I was thinking about you this week and I wanted to let you know that I'm praying for you. That is an encouragement. Did you understand? What I, that lifts you up to think that there are others thinking about you. Now, do you see the possibility of what you could do for the church expand in your mind now? Because oftentimes we think of service in the church as being pastor in the pulpit, somebody in a worship team, somebody teaching Sunday school, somebody working in the nursery, somebody helping with a funeral dinner, but then that's it. That's all we think about. But it's so much more than that. And so the, the role of the leader, the role of these gifted individuals, is to equip believers for service. Now, why? 
Jesus' gifting is also for the purpose of edifying the body, the church. The whole purpose is to build up the body, lift up the body, encourage the body. Okay? Encourage the body. That's what the whole purpose is. It's not to beat down the body. Man, I have been in churches where the, the ministry was some guy whooping you every Sunday. Have you ever been in a church like that? Where you, and, and then you just walked out of there like, man, why did I show up? I feel worse than ever now. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and that's not the purpose. The purpose is to what? Encourage and build up. Now, do you sometimes have to say hard things? Yeah, sometimes. And sometimes you don't even have to purpose to say hard things. God can speak to you individually as you're listening to a message and speak hard things to you, right? But the purpose is, is to build up the body. So it's for the equipping of believers, it's for the edifying of the body. Now, the equipping and the edifying are to occur until we come to the unity of faith. So how long is this supposed to go on? Till we all come to the unity of faith. What's that, George? Well, I'll tell you when it is. When we all go to be with Jesus. Did you understand what I'm saying? It's not like we've arrived yet. We're all supposed to continually build each other up until we want. Go to be with Christ, okay? Go to be with Christ. Here's the other thing. The equipping and the edifying are to occur until we come to a knowledge of the Son of God. Now, again, that knowledge, word knowledge there, is an intimate knowledge. It's to build up your relationship with who? Jesus. So the edifying and the encouragement, the equipping of you, not just to do service, not just to edify, but the purpose is so that you grow in your relationship with Christ. All right, so here's the other one. The equipping and the edifying are to occur until we come to spiritual maturity. Until we come to a place of being perfect. Now, have you noticed what the implication of that is when you read that in the passage? Right now it tells us that you are not perfect. You may think you are, but you're not. I'm not. You're not. Well, I know you're not, George. I understand, but neither are you, okay? Neither are you, and, and this is to occur until we have spiritual maturity. And again, when will that take place, folks? Yeah, when Jesus comes back, okay? So this is what needs to happen. These, these gifted individuals are to help us till we come to spiritual maturity. Now, Paul states that this is necessary so that we will no longer be spiritually immature as children. This is so that you and I won't be like a child. You know, at one point in the Corinthian letters, he says, I wish I could speak to you as mature but, and give you meat, but you're still, you're still on milk. You're still on your mother's milk. Meaning you're immature. So this is... The reason why we're to do this, to edify, is so that we become spiritually mature, not like children. Why? He describes children as being unstable and easily deceived by false teachers. Isn't that, an, isn't that a little bit of a description of a child, right? Can be easily deceived and unstable. Here it talks about being tossed to and fro on the waves. I, we were just, when we were visiting Sawyer down near Charleston, we went to 
I took the family to Edisto Beach. It's on Edisto Island in South Carolina. And 45 years ago, my family used to go to this beach and we would camp there at the state park for weeks at a time. And, cause, and, and it, I had lots of good memories. It's like a more primitive area of South Carolina along the beach. And I'm, I love being in the ocean. And, and, and being in the I love the beach. My, my daughter said, Dad, you always want to go to the beach. I love the beach. I love being out in the waves. And the thing about being in the waves, you're not in control. <laughs> Have you noticed that? You're not in control. And the waves are what? They're just tossing you around. That's the illustration he's using here of someone being unstable. That's what it is to be spiritually immature. And have you noticed that sometimes when you see immature believers, it's like they're like, whoa, this guy says this over here. And whoa, this guy says this over here. And they're like, what? And they're just bouncing from one thing to another. You ever met somebody like that? And that's what he's saying. We're to do this so that we can become mature and not like children because they're also easily deceived by false teachers. Rather, we will grow up in Christ by speaking what? Truth in love. Truth in love. You know, through the years, I've met people, and this is an abuse of the gift. They'll say, I'm a, I have the gift of being a prophet. Okay, what does that mean? Well, I just tell people like it is. And that's their spiritual gift, is telling people like it is. Now, what I've noticed when people say that is they never do it in love. Do you know what I'm saying? They never do it in love. They always do it trying to correct somebody. And it's never in love or in a spirit of gentleness and meekness, as Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, wanting to restore someone. It's... It's not in love. And so he's saying, speak the truth, but do it in what? Love. And so the reality is, is we grow up. That's the point. We mature. And so here he says, he concludes, why? Because Christ is the head of the church, and it's source for life resulting in growth. Here's how you grow. Jesus is the center of your life. He's the source of your spiritual life. And as you focus on him, and as, as a church, we focus on him, and the leaders are guiding you to focus on him, what happens? Growth. Maturity. Okay? Maturity. All right. Because next week, he's going to get into telling us some specific things we should and shouldn't be doing. Okay? As believers. In fact, if you look at verse 17, he says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. So he's getting ready to tell you, don't live like the world. That's what we're going to look at next week. Okay.